Happy Easter, everybody. How are you? You are here. We're here, Easter 2022. Um, I know that um, we may not have all met each other, me and you, you and each other. So a, qu- a couple little things to help us get to know who's around us. I need some participation. Are you ready on Easter morning for some participation? Yes, you are. I know you are. A couple questions. Uh, this is a pop quiz. You ready? How many of you have been around here, been around Hillside for three years or more? Just raise your hand real quick. Three years or more, raise your hand. That's a lot of you. How many three years or less, raise your hand. Maybe it's your first time, and we just want to say welcome, and we're so glad you're here. Okay, uh, another question. Another question. How many of you are introverts, and you wish I would stop asking questions where you have to raise your hand? All right, that's a few of us. You're like, move on, please. How many of you are extroverts, and you're like, more questions, please? I like to participate. Okay, lastly. How many of you have lived somewhere other than California? I get, um, you're not from around here, are you, fairly often when I talk. Okay, how many of you, you've only lived in California? This is the only place you've lived. Okay, very cool. So um, no matter where you are from, no matter whether you're new or you're old, no matter if you're introvert or extrovert, you're here today. And, And you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. And I think God has something planned for you. Uh, last year on April 24th, just a few weeks after Easter, uh, my wife and daughter and I, one of our, our children, we went back to Phoenix where we had moved here from 10 years ago for a funeral. There was a young man who had just died that when we were first in the hospital on our daughter's cancer journey the first time, he was diagnosed and he was in the hospital. And so we went to this funeral to be with the family, to be a part of what was going on, and, and it, was, it, was, it was quite an experience. Dealing with what was going on and the reality of the situation that we had been in so much was just heavy. Um, I woke up Saturday morning, we were staying with my in-law, brother and sister-in-law, and I just thought I need to like, get out of the house. I need to go for a run, put the AirPods in, listen to a podcast, whatever, just to try to maybe get a break for a minute. So I'm running on this road in the middle of the desert and I come to this scene. It's a sign that says, welcome to Canaan. That's like a Bible word. That's a Bible place. And I thought, did I take a wrong turn somewhere? <laughs> I felt like I was in the Holy Lands. It was hot like the Holy Lands, but welcome to Canaan. And, I, and, I, and it just, like my mind wasn't in that space. So I didn't even know where I was. I didn't know what this meant. All I saw was at the top of the sign, it said, welcome. And I thought that must mean me. I'm going to go in and see what is this all about. And so I march right in, not even knowing where I'm going, what I'm doing. And, and I immediately come to this scene. And it's people preparing the body of Jesus for burial. And I'm immediately taken by a few weeks after Easter, a few weeks after what's going on, and me in the middle of just this weird moment, this surprising moment, feeling the weight and the sadness and the grief of what it must have meant to be a part of burying Jesus. Stood there for a little bit and and, and walked on. Went a little bit further, and and as I went further, I uh, got to these three crosses. The middle one represents the cross of Jesus. It sort of took my breath away as I thought about What he did on a cross for me. He didn't deserve a cross, but he did that. He went there. He sacrificed his life because of my sin and your sin so we could be forgiven and set free so we could have grace. And and honestly, it was just absolutely overwhelming. I walked a little further and I came to this. I came to this place where there are just 
torturing Jesus. Jesus is being beaten. It's the fulfillment of prophecies of scriptures that say he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our sins. And what Jesus had to endure, again, in that moment, just was overwhelming to me. Walked a little bit further, came to this image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this moment, he's wrestling with what is ahead. He's wrestling with the, the um, arrest, betrayal, beating, uh, cross. He's wrestling with the, the carrying the weight of the sin of the world. He prays a simple prayer where he says, Father, if there's another way, let this pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Spent some time there and I walked to the next place. And it sort of just woke me up. A map. I was like, a map. I went from all this stuff to do with Jesus to a map. I don't know if you can see it, but in the middle of the map, there's just a dot and it says, you are here. And I was still trying to figure out where exactly is here. I was going for a jog. And God had another plan for me that day. It was this moment to be caught up in the story of God, the story of Jesus, but something was missing. And as I sat there in the moment, it was, you are here. And I was at the end, which was actually the beginning. And I thought, I just walked through this prayer walk in reverse. Like I went the wrong way. And I said, but what a way to live life. Like if you've been here recently, we, we just finished a few weeks ago, Revelation. We started at the end of the book. And when you start and you know what the end is, it helps to make sense of everything along the way. And when you know what Jesus does in the end, it helps you to endure the now. And so in this walk, it was this reminder of if, if, if only I would remember what happened here and happened here and happened here and happened here, except for one thing, there was something missing. And I, I don't know if I missed it or if it was missing. And I was like, where is the empty tomb? Because this story is not complete without the empty tomb. And the story of Christ, the story of his work is only fully understood when we understand the reality of the resurrection and the empty tomb. And I'm gonna sum it up today in one word. This is the word I want you to take away today. It's simply this, grace. Grace. We're gonna talk about grace. I came up with my own definition because I can, because I have a slide that I can put it to. Here's what grace is. The, the first part is my definition. Getting from God what we have not earned. That's my definition. Getting from God what we have not earned. Other people have said grace is undeserved favor. Uh, somebody a long time ago came up with this uh, five words, G-R-A-C-E, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That grace is what Christ has done for us on a cross. We can receive grace not because you earn it or it wouldn't be grace. We receive grace because God is gracious and he is compassionate. This could be called, this first definition refers to saving grace. It's the kind of grace that saves us from our wrongdoing, our sin, gives us new life. But there's also a second aspect to this grace, which I called growing to be more like Jesus. Growing in grace. It's the power of God to bring ongoing transformation. The first definition is a, a one-time event saving grace. This second definition refers to the lifelong endeavor of growing in grace. It's that famous line that we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm, I was blind, but now I, it's that how do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we find a flourishing to the life abundantly that God has for us? It's because of God's grace what God does for us. 
In John chapter one, John the apostle writes these amazing words. This is usually a verse we use at Christmas, but John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The, like, where is Jesus? John is saying he came to dwell with us on the earth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. The reason that grace can even be called amazing is because grace is connected to who Jesus is. And what I would love to invite you to do is try to locate yourself today within the story of God in relation to where are you when it comes to Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you the question in a few minutes, a few times, where are you? And I don't mean physically. You're here, I get that physically. Where are you spiritually? So I've been thinking about this the last number of weeks, um, and, and for some reason I just realized on my phone how many location-finding apps I have. I have Waze. Whenever I want to go somewhere, I get onto Waze, and it says, are you driving? No, of course I'm not driving. Why would I be driving and doing this? I have maps on my phone. For some reason, I didn't plan this. I didn't do this. All of a sudden, maps just started out of the blue a few months ago telling me where I parked every time. Anybody else? I don't know if that's like a software update. It's like, you parked here. I'm like, I'm at church. Like, I know where I parked. I'm not confused with that. I have a Strava app that if I want to go hiking, it tells me where I am and where the trail is. I have find my phone. I clicked on it because I've never done that before. And the first thing it asked me, uh, two days ago, would you like to share your location? No. I, if, I wanted, if I want somebody to know where I'm at, I'll tell them where I'm at. And then I've got Life360 on here, and the, the five of us in our family, we have Life360, and I don't ever ask any of my family members, where are you anymore? I always know where they are. I just ask, what are you doing there? <laughs> Why are you still there? Like, come home to my 16-year-old. So here's the question. To locate, to triangulate yourself within the story of God, I wanna ask you this, where are you? And I don't mean physically, I mean, where are you spiritually? Where is your soul in relation to God? We don't think about those kinds of things a lot, but I'm telling you from God's perspective, that's what matters most. And if you would be so bold, I'm gonna ask you to ask a different question, not for you to answer where are you, but to say, God, where am I? And let him provide the answer of where you are. In, in Luke, um, I'm going to read from chapter 24. And I spent a lot of time this week listening to chapter 23. Chapter 23 of Luke about the arrest and the beating and the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And I've been listening just to try to saturate myself within the story. But basically Luke 23 is what I just talked about on that prayer walk of those images of this is what Jesus has done for us. When you get to Luke chapter 24, Luke, who by the way is a physician, is writing an account. You can read in chapter one. He's writing an account to help people understand who is Jesus and what has he done for us. So Luke 24, chapter, uh, chapter 24, verse one, here's what Luke writes. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They were following direction. Where's the tomb? Tomb. They found the stone, rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Those are two angels showed up. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, I love this question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has, say it with me, risen. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. These next words are a quote of Jesus. He said, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then, then it was like a light bulb went off. Then they remembered his words. In the account that Mark has, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three gospel accounts that all tell the story of the birth, the life, the teaching, the resurrection of Jesus. In Mark's account, at this resurrection, the angel says something interesting. The angel says, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter about what's happened. Why would the angel specify Peter? Because just two days earlier, Peter's the guy that said, I will never deny you, Jesus. I don't care what anybody else does. I will never deny you. And then once, a second time, and a third time, Peter's like, uh, look, at my, look at my life through 60. I have never been around that guy, Jesus. Don't know him, don't know where he's been. I am not one of his followers, not me. And Jesus, God wanted Peter to know, even though you denied me, my grace is still available for you. But it goes back even further than that. If you were to look in Mark chapter eight at what happened in the moment where Jesus begins to reveal himself for who he really is, there's a moment where he's talking to his disciples and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give a a variety of answers and then Jesus makes it real personal and this is a massive question for us. Who do you say that Jesus is? He asks his disciples and Peter boldly speaks up and says, you're the Christ, You're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, that's right. But as the Christ, as the Messiah, here's what Jesus says. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to then rise back to life. Check out what happens in Mark 8, verse 32. He spoke plainly about this. Jesus spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Peter's listening to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, 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 come come, come over here. Jesus, like, don't be silly. You're the Messiah. Come on, Jesus. This is not how things are going to go down. Peter rebukes Jesus. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He's like, oh, you rebuke me? I'm gonna rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. Not a compliment, by the way. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here is Peter who has walked with Jesus for a long time already, and he still has trouble seeing things God's way and not from his own human concerns. And Jesus says, get behind me. How's that for a you are here kind of moment? 
But even in that moment, even in the rejection, even in the times that Peter got it wrong, Jesus is reminding him, even by sending in the disciples after his resurrection to say, be sure you tell Peter I'm risen just like I said. And Jesus is again making sure we know he is faithful to his promise. He's going to deliver on everything that he said. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of God. And it's all seen in this man, Jesus, grace in human form, full of grace, full of truth. Always both of those. Let me me give you one more example of this grace. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me and find it. The apostle Paul is sometimes known as the apostle of grace. And he writes to help us all locate ourselves within the story of God. In chapter two, verse one, this is what the apostle Paul says. As for you, and he's sort of implying all of us, as for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. So here's Paul having a a pretty sobering conversation to start with. He says, let's locate ourselves within the story of God. If we're asking, where, where, where am I? Paul says, spiritually, dead in transgressions and sins spiritually, not, not bad. Like sometimes when we're raised, I was raised, like my parents wanted me to be a good little boy. And sometimes we think, well, spiritually, maybe I'm a little bad and I need to try harder and be good. I need to work a little bit more to be good. Maybe if I can do enough good things, then God will say, oh, you are pretty good. You're trying hard. A for effort. Paul says, no, no, no. It's not that you're bad and you need to be made good. It's that spiritually, apart from Christ, all of us are dead spiritually in our sins and our transgressions. And I know you're, you're, you're looking at me like, oh man, that's serious. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's serious. But in order to understand the good news, we gotta understand the bad news and that makes the good news even gooder. I know that's not a word, but you know what I mean. It makes it all the more real. It makes grace all the more amazing when we understand this. That all of us apart from Christ are in the dark. We're, we're lost spiritually and we can't save ourselves. A dead person can't save themselves. And so God doesn't look at any of us and say, come on, just try harder, then I'll love you. Just get your act together. No, actually what we're told in scripture is, here's how God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He offers us grace. Let's get to the good news, okay? Enough of that. Verse four, look at this. Yes, we were dead spiritually uh, in our transgressions and sin, but look at verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, two amazing phrases, his great love, God who is rich in mercy, listen to this, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by, what's the word? Okay, we can do better than that. What's the word? It is by grace that you have been saved. It's been grace. It's the grace that God would offer us. It's the grace that God would offer me. As a a young boy, again, not deeply involved in sin as a young boy, but lost just the same. To some of us in this room, I got to talk to a man in his 70s just a few minutes ago who said, I am so overwhelmed at the grace of God and I experienced it for the first time today. And it's that same grace that says, I wanna move you from death into life. God who is rich in mercy with his great love made us alive, come alive in Christ. 
It is by grace you have been saved. Look at verse eight, in case we didn't get it. Verse eight, for it is by what? Grace, there it is again. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's through faith. It's not by us doing the work. It's the work has been accomplished on a cross in an empty tomb. What we're invited to do is to believe, to have faith. Listen, not to have all the answers, not to have it all figured out, but to surrender to God by faith, to plead for his grace, to not pretend like we got it all together, but to plead for his grace, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. That word can also mean masterpiece. Do you know this? You are God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. God didn't make any mistakes when he made any of us. We're a masterpiece of God's creation. Look, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, means God has purpose for our life, meaning for our life. There is hope in this world. And so... I believe that there's two needs that we have. There's two needs that we have that only God can meet through Jesus. Two needs that we have, and and they're this. Number one, the need to grow in grace. Now, for a minute, I want to talk to those who say that you're a Christian, you're a follower of God. We still have a need to grow in grace. We have not arrived. We have not gotten to this place where we're perfect. We don't have it all together. Uh, The apostle Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians about a struggle in his life. And he's saying, I was praying to God, take it away. I was praying to God for help. And here's how God responded. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. For my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. Some of us need to grow in grace have the last, can we just be honest? Can we have the last couple of years, last few years, made you more graceful? Have the last couple of years made you more loving and kind? Have the last couple of years caused you to appreciate the grace of God like nothing ever before? Are you entering Easter this year, Christian, so overwhelmed by the grace of God, you're like, I don't deserve it, I'm not worthy, but I'm gonna worship him because of his grace? Or are you like, yeah, I probably should do the Easter thing this year, that's what everybody else is doing. There's the grace of God moving us in, in a way that it would cause us to respond in worship to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a quote. I heard it a few weeks ago, and I'm just telling everybody about it. I can't get away from it. And here's what he says. This is bold. The ultimate test of our spirituality. The ultimate test of your spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. Are you amazed at the grace of God today? Overwhelmed that he would choose to look at you and give you grace. I know I need grace. Anybody else? I know I need grace anytime it's a Thursday afternoon and I'm on the 210. I know I need grace in those tension-packed moments in my house with five of us and three dogs. Grace towards dogs, is that a thing? I think it is. I know that I need grace when I feel anxiety or I feel anger or I feel whatever. I know that I need grace. We need to grow in grace 
This ongoing experience with Jesus as we live our life. We're starting a series next week that's all about this. It's called Five Good Fights. And, and here's the, sub, the subtitle is Choose Your Battles. Choose Your Relational Battles Wisely. And we're going to talk about this topic next week, forgiveness. How do we live in forgiveness and keep fighting the good fight? See, there's people, we, we fight about all kinds of things that I'll just say they're not worth fighting about. But there are good fights to have as we grow in grace. Some of us need to grow in grace, and that would be a prayer today that we want to worship and celebrate the one who is full of grace and truth and be more like him. Secondly, we need to get grace, some of us. This is what I mean by saving grace. This is what I mean by you've never had a moment where you fully surrendered to God and he changed your life. Today's the day. It could be. This is the hour. You know that part in Amazing Grace, how precious did that Grace appear the hour I first believed. For somebody, this is the hour. For somebody, this is the day to say, I don't have to keep striving and trying to prove myself to God. I just have to surrender and throw myself upon the grace of God and say, I need your grace. Because we're not even spiritually able to save ourselves in the first place. That's why it's called grace. That's why Jesus went to a cross. That's why there's an empty tomb to make a way for us to get back to God when we couldn't on our own find that way. And so it's to call out to God for his grace. Honest question that demands an honest answer. Where are you spiritually? Have you received that grace that God gives? Has it transformed your life? Or if you're honest, would you say, no, 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 I've, I've never done that. Here's the amazing news. Today could be the day. Death to life kind of things. Others of us, it's maybe it's a stagnant relationship with God. And you would say, I need to grow in God's grace today. I'm going to ask you to just pray. I'm going to ask you to just think about that. And even ask God, God, where am I? As we sing this beautiful old hymn and just declare his grace is absolutely amazing. Let's worship together.